Welcome. Thank you for being here, especially any visitors that are here in our midst. Several of our members were not here uh, last time when I was working on, when I began this session on, this section of this culture war series on, on child rearing. So Mr. Frank wanted me to do a good review before moving forward. Uh, with the, of course, he's going to want a review anytime, but particularly this time he, he asked for a review. Um, and before we move, part with the, move forward with the, the uh, second part of this sub-series within our examination of America's culture, cancer. So from a broader perspective on where we've come, I've made the point that America has spiritual cancer and is in the late stages of the disease. Satan, of course, has been behind the spread of the disease. And so we've been looking at the spread of the disease, the idea of metastasis, uh, how Satan has spread the disease of sin in America over the last several decades. And uh, attacking the home has been a very efficient method of doing so. Restructuring the home as God designed it to function has been effective at destroying the very nucleus of American society. So how we date, so that is how we set up our marriages, and then how we conduct ourselves within our marriages, namely how we function in the jobs that God has prescribed, how he designed us for particular jobs, and how we uh, go about um, operating within those roles or not operating, as is going on in our country, and then how we pass on our principles in child rearing. So Satan has done his work in this country over the last 50 years. According to a 2014 Pew Research study, only 46% of U.S. kids are living in a traditional family with two married heterosexual parents in their first marriage, uh, compared to 73% back in 1960. So now it's only 46% of kids that are actually growing up in this traditional family. 41% of kids are born outside of marriage. So imagine that. Four out of 10 kids in America uh, are born outside of a marriage situation with regard to their, to their parents. Whereas in 1960, it was only 5%, or 1 in 20. 15% of kids are living in a remarriage situation. 34% of kids are living with a parent who has no spouse. One in three kids in America. It was 9% in 1960. It's 34% now of, of children are living with a parent who doesn't have a spouse. 4% uh, of kids are living with an unmarried couple, and 5% aren't living with either biological parent, so for example, a grandparent. So if you, you, know, you think these stats say anything about how children are being reared in America today? And what will be the likely outcome of, of many of these kids? And yet those stats aren't as alarming as what is happening within the church with regard to child rearing. So notice that uh, even if a couple marries well in God's sight and follows God's plan for the home in their roles, Satan still has a plan which is effective and is succeeding. If a husband and a wife don't rear their children in the manner that God articulates, then Satan has the next generation, even if he doesn't have our own generation. So uh, how many excellent Christian couples have we all witnessed with their children uh, and, and you couldn't help but see firsthand that they're simply not getting the job done. 
they're just not raising their kids in a, in a Bible-based way uh, with consistency, training, and discipline, and so forth. Their kids appear to be out of control. You see rebellion in their spirit. You see selfishness, disrespect, whininess, uh, and so forth. And so the bulk of America has, by and large, rejected God's ordinances concerning child-rearing. And, and even where we haven't rejected them, we've dropped the ball in training our children in how to rear their own children. Uh, because we're too busy with our jobs to take the time really to discuss this as we should. And, and I said it before, I'm sure I'll say it again in this series. By and large, I, I'm not speaking from my own mind. I wouldn't call myself an expert on child-rearing. Uh, the jury's still out on my own kids. But I'm confident in certain child-rearing principles for four reasons. Number one, they're biblical. And we're going to be hammering that. Number two, some of these principles have been passed down from much older, experienced, and, and, and more wise people than myself. And number three, they're rational. They make sense. And number four, they're working well so far with my own kids and those that I've seen using these same principles. So, so let's look at, at relevant biblical principles regarding child rearing and try to apply them to life. By way of review... In our first session on this subject, we looked at several passages that converged to highlight to us uh, one important point, and that is the idea that God loves children. Uh, raising kids is not something to be sloppy, lazy, and lackadaisical about. Uh, such a mindset would be profanity. Uh, that is treating something that is, that is supposed to be taken very serious in a flippant irreverent way. And so we spent some time on those passages in our last session. We looked at Psalm 127, children are a heritage of the Lord. They're a reward. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. We looked at this as well. Uh, quiver being the sack on an archer's back that holds arrows. So children are metaphorically being described as arrows with the parent being the archer tasked with shooting those arrows in the right direction. So happy is the man who have his, has his quiver full of kids. And so we asked the question, can I say that about my own kids or do they make me miserable? Uh, and we considered the idea that if those of us with children cannot read this passage and genuinely agree with it in a general way, then we should seriously consider the possibility that we may be doing something wrong. We're likely not molding these little chitlins uh, the way that Scripture delineates, or else they would be a joy, as the Scripture says. But the good thing is that we're not doomed to misery. We can make adjustments to make sure we're doing this God's way. Children are a blessing. They're a joy. But it's also true that the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. And so what do we do? Well, we train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Uh, we must mold them while they're young, before it's too late. Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. So Solomon is warning us, as we get older, we're going to get ingrained in our ways. We're going to develop habits, which is a, a key word that we're going to come back to several times in these sessions. Habits that are hard to break as we go through life. We consider the important concept that we're molding our children, shaping them as a potter shapes clay. Um, so this idea of a child being like a lump of clay, and that becomes whatever, you know, this lump of clay becomes whatever he's molded to be. He's a reflection of his parents' values, a reflection of his parents' strengths and weaknesses, his parents' child-rearing beliefs, 
and child-rearing tactics, which as I said last time, that's why Proverbs 29:15 highlights that an undisciplined child brings shame to his mother, not himself. It's not his fault. It's not the clay's fault when the potter messes up. And so we need to be careful to keep that in mind when our kids misbehave or drive us nuts. Uh, they're merely a product of our own methods. Um, the things that we're highlighting or not highlighting, as may be the case, the things that we're doing or not doing. So notice they're like our report card. Uh, so yes, kids have, have different personalities, and, and different personalities certainly lend themselves to different strengths and weaknesses. Some kids are more compliant. Uh, some have more of a strong personality. We might use the term strong will that could lend itself to being more stubborn and rebellious. Uh, but Or the flip side, one who, is, who, who brazenly, boldly, and unashamedly stands unwaveringly for the truth and won't yield to peer pressure. See, that's the positive side of a, of a strong will. So now, which way the child goes is where, is where we as parents come in. That's molding. So no personality is inherently sinful in and of itself. Some can be more difficult, yes, but generally speaking, it's our tactics or our lack of tactics that are going to result in various behaviors. That's a scriptural concept. So the last subject we looked at last time uh, why are we raising our children? What's the goal? And I highlighted one thing that it is not. The goal is not merely to get them to the baptistry. A parent hasn't necessarily gotten the job done if his child is baptized. No, that's not enough. How many children do you know who have been immersed but aren't really zealously living the Christian life? How many people do you know like that? That pay lip service, but they haven't really made the commitment. Uh, that's the bulk of the church. Uh, so people that come to church and punch their card every week, but they don't live it the rest of the time. They don't really seek first the kingdom and the church and righteousness and everything they do and how they use their money and so forth. So the purpose of this whole existence is to prepare us for eternity. We must prepare our children for the afterlife, for God. See, and I notice this is a different perspective. It includes getting them to the baptistry, yes, but it also includes preparing them to live a happy life in service to God and, and then preparing them for the afterlife, a life which is defined by God and a life that must be lived His way in order to be accepted by Him. And so the baptistry part should really be the easy part, at least comparatively. It's the living part that's the hard part of child rearing. That's the part that requires major molding as parents, trying to get our kids to live right. And so it includes helping our children to, to form good habits while not having other habits that are going to hinder their happiness and their Christian walk. It is the righteous who will inherit eternal life, Matthew 25 and verse 46. And righteousness is defined by God. Uh, we know that if we live the way God expects us to, it will be better for us. It's for our good, Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13, like eating healthy. Um, it'll bring us happiness. Uh, happy is he who keeps the law, Proverbs 29 and verse 18, one of the passages we memorize with the kids. And it'll bring us longer life, Deuteronomy 6.2. And so, for example, uh, we as parents teach kids to honor us as parents, Ephesians 6 says, so that our children may live long on the earth. Uh, that's one of the purposes of parenting and should be a basic purpose behind our rules. Eat right, uh, don't run in the street, uh, don't touch the stove, don't get too close to the edge. Why? 
that you may live long on the earth. Okay, why? Well, so we can accomplish those things we need to accomplish for God, pointing towards eternity. So recall that also encapsulated in this idea of preparing our children for God is the idea of portraying the nature of God to our children by how we treat them or respond to them and how we behave in general. And so I made the point that, that a child is, it will naturally and unconsciously picture God as being the way his parents are, especially his father. So he's going to transfer her, his perception of family authority uh, from his parents to God. So parents must paint the right picture of who God is to our kids. So if parents are too harsh, too overbearing, if they expect too much than what a child can handle, if they're too negative, uh, they're, they're unmerciful, unforgiving, then our children are going to tend to perceive God, God that way as well, and they're going to be much less likely to want to follow Him. Uh, if we're inconsistent, if we're unable to be counted on to abide by our word and do what we say we're going to do, then they'll perceive God that way as well. They won't feel that they can trust Him. If, if we're overly merciful, on the other hand, perceived as pushovers, if we, if we spoil our children or try to keep them from all pain and suffering rather than teaching them how to cope with it, then they'll have an incorrect portrait in their mind of who God is, which will certainly affect how they live in response. If they perceive Him as a pushover, uh, some cosmic grandpa that's going to spoil them and let them get away with murder, then they're going to be less concerned with living right. If they believe that He will keep them from all pain and suffering, or if they believe that God will spoil them and give them everything they want, then they'll, they'll lose their faith when they see that He doesn't do those things and never said that He would. So obviously if our goal is to prepare our children for God, then our rules and our expectations for our kids will reflect these things, and we'll discuss that more much uh, later. And so that brings us really up to date for those who were not here to hear the first session. There you go. That's 15-minute review. You happy, Mr. Frank? There we go. All right, so again, we're, we're wanting to look at what the Bible has to say about child-rearing, especially principles for kids before they reach the teen years. Uh, after all, by the time they're teens, our work should be essentially finished. Uh, we'll just, they'll just be testing the principles that they've already learned on their own. They'll be learning to handle a little more independence. Uh, as I said in the previous lesson, I'm not interested, again, in speaking uh, very much from my own mind on these things. I want to look at relevant biblical principles and try to apply them. So the goal of child-rearing is to prepare our children for God, for serving Him in life and the afterlife. And how, but how, we, how, how do we implement that principle in a practical way? Uh, does the Bible have more to say on this? Well, a good summary passage on biblical child-rearing would be the, here in Ephesians 6.4, which instructs parents to bring up their children in the training or discipline and admonition or instruction of the Lord with variations in, in wording, depending upon your translation. And so Paul highlights the, the two fundamental practical responsibilities of a parent, and that is to teach or instruct and train or discipline. And Hebrews 12 highlights that, that included in that idea of training is the idea of correcting or chastening. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All right, so correcting through rebuke, uh, verse 5 there in Hebrews 12 
and chastening that trains a child. And so we have our third step there in child rearing, and that is to correct, which is really a subcategory of training. Uh, but the Bible has so much to say about this idea of correction that I'm, so I'm going to separate that in our study. So teach, train, correct. So if we were to break down parenting in three words, that's what we're talking about. Everything else fits in one of these three categories. Okay, so let's start, we're going to start digging into that first step. Obviously, a parent cannot fairly discipline and train a child to be a certain way or correct and rebuke a child for not doing so if the child first doesn't even know what he's supposed to do. And so if he doesn't know what's expected of him, he can't very well do it. Uh, Romans 5.13, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. All right, now, to, now maybe that, that seems obvious to most of us, but when we think about this principle practically, and we try to put this into effect with our kids, it's not always so intuitive. I mean, I admit personally that, that I have to remind myself of this principle. Because let me tell you, when, for example, you're under pressure doing something and you're trying to focus and the kids interrupt you and they're making a lot of racket or they pile on you, you know, it's easy to snap at them for merely doing what kids do, uh, for doing what you would usually be okay with, but at this particular moment, you're not okay with it. But you haven't calmly communicated with them that you need them to be quiet or play elsewhere, and instead you snap at them as though they've disregarded an instruction that you never gave them in the first place. So teaching or instruction must come first. It's step one. If we haven't instructed our kids, we can't expect them to read our minds and obey instructions that they haven't been given. And this is a pretty, pretty critical principle when we really get down to it in, in our day-to-day -day life. So what are we teaching? Well, as we've already noted, the goal of parenting is to prepare our children for a life and afterlife of service to God. And so we give them the, the teaching and training of the Lord. We must know what He expects of His servants by diligent study of His Word. And so we're patterning our protocols on Scripture. All right, so the teaching and training, uh, the training and admonition of the Lord, that phrase, of the Lord. Of course, uh, Deuteronomy 11, uh, verses 18 through 21, one of our passages, very relevant. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and teach them to your children, right? The God's words. Speaking of them, when you sit in your house, you walk by the way, lie down, rise up. Why? That your days and the days of your children uh, may be multiplied. So we're to teach God's word to our kids and do so continually. Uh, we work it into our days in a regular way. Uh, Bible story time, Bible study time, devotional time, discussions, illustrations throughout the day. It's constant. And so we keep God's word in front of our kids' eyes so that they can't help but have it on their mind. They can't help but be curious and ask questions as they think through the things they're seeing all the time, which leads to even more discussion. Basically, we're talking about gluttony in eating God's Word. Being, that's actually authorized. So God's Word, that, that underlies, of course, what, we're, what we'll be doing, our, our instruction, our teaching, the rules that we make. So God's Word should be uh, undergirding such things. Paul commented on the fact, of course, that Timothy had been given such in his upbringing. From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in uh, Christ Jesus. Uh, Moses highlighted the, the magnificence of God's law, but he warned about how easily God's works could be forgotten. So he gave a prescription for ensuring that that won't happen. 
And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all as as are in all this law which I said before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. And teach them to your children and your grandchildren, even. All right, so notice that the teaching step in child rearing applies even to our grandchildren as well. We need to be involved in that. And of course, who can forget Proverbs 22.6 again, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. A proverb, and, and as such, a generality, not a hard and fast rule about what will necessarily happen when the child is older. Uh, even if we reared our children perfectly with no mistakes, he still has free will. He can decide to ignore the right way. Uh, but with proper training and the way he should go, in general, a child will, will go the right way. But the phrase I want to emphasize at this point is that idea of in the way he should go. So applying that phrase in child rearing is obviously critical. Uh, the New American Standard Bible notes that the phrase literally means according to his way. And so train up a child according to his way. In other words, personalize your child-rearing tactics. Some kids are different. Uh, individual personalities should be considered in child-rearing. Uh, one child might be more compliant by nature and not need quite as firm a hand as another. Uh, one child's temperament or abilities and talents may cause you to encourage him or her to, to go a different route in life, which would affect the things that you say to influence your child and what he'll do in life. Uh, even gender can play a role here, since, since a girl must be trained to think differently about her future and her responsibilities, since she has a different job or a different role that God has given her, uh, which we've already talked about in previous sessions. And so that could affect her education and so forth. So these kinds of things are included in this idea here of training a child according to his way, but it also is the case that part of training a child according to his way is going to include spiritual training. So here's a good way to, to think about this verse, how to apply it in a practical way. Train a child now to be the way he should be then, and when he gets there, he'll be that way, right? And so we, we look at a child's behavior now, and we fast forward in our minds to what that behavior is going to look like in its adult form if it's left unchecked. And then we consider, will that behavior as an adult warrant God's disfavor? Okay, would that same behavior in its adult form be ungodly or unchristian? Well, if so, then we should be sure to train and discipline for the elementary version of those behaviors now. Train a child now to be the way he needs to be then, and when he gets there, he'll behave the way he's trained to behave. Train little Johnny to control those behaviors now that'll be unacceptable to God then, and then when Johnny gets to the age of accountability, he's going to be much less likely to struggle with that behavior. He'll be prepared for Christianity, for a, a life of service to God. And again, that's the ultimate goal of parenting instilling important virtues into their character through training when they're young is the most effective way of making sure that they are a part of a person when they are old. Okay, so in this series, I want to take some time to think through that idea and apply it practically. And we'll do that more starting in our next session. But uh, so teaching scripture is something vague and, and somewhat vague and broad. Uh, it's, it's hard to use that. And so what what specifically should we be emphasizing in our teaching and molding? Well, uh, first, some things we don't want to overemphasize. 
would be those things that are emphasized by the world, which Scripture doesn't place an emphasis on. Like, for example, money and riches, Ezekiel 28.5. Emphasizing material things encourages materialism. And so the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, 1 Timothy 6.10. So we, want, we wouldn't want to emphasize money and wealth in our instruction. Instead, we should downplay the importance of money and stuff, just things. So we wouldn't want to encourage a career for our child purely because of salary, for example. On the contrary, we'd want to look for a career that would effectively utilize our child's God-given talents to his service. So again, remember the goal of parenting. A fame and glory, popularity. Again, this is worldly at its core and will encourage pride and vanity. That is not something we want to emphasize. It is not good to seek one's own glory. Uh, Proverbs 25 and verse 27 says, Beauty and charm also, these are things the world emphasizes, but which God does not. And thus again, we wish to teach our children to be pleasing to God, and so we emphasize what He emphasizes. Uh, fixation on beauty, just like fame and glory, encourages pride, Ezekiel 28, 17. Uh, remember again our passage, one of the passages we're memorizing with the kids, Proverbs 31, 30, charm that's deceitful. Beauty is passing. It's not going to last. A woman who fears the Lord, she should be praised. She shall be praised. So God emphasizes the heart, not the outward appearance, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Again, another one of our passages the kids are memorizing. How about strength and athletic ability? Uh, no, again, that's a worldly emphasis. Not many powerful or mighty, according to worldly standards, will be Christians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.26, whether it be gain, uh, might gain from money and power or from physical strength. Uh, so sure, exercise profits some, 1 Timothy 4.8, and having good health can give us more years in service to God. But on the other hand, emphasizing strength and athletics rather than putting our emphasis on godliness will not lead to heaven. And so again, these things lead instead to pride. What about intelligence? And here we're, we're not talking about godly wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, which stem from the fear of the Lord, but we're talking worldly wisdom. wisdom. So the elitist Ivy League professor-type intelligence and IQ scores, the Stephen Hawking-like glory. Not many wise, according to the flesh, are called to God's service. They're, they're too high and mighty to be bondservants for the Lord, and so... We don't emphasize worldly wisdom, right? As we prepare our children for God, we don't make money and riches, fame and glory and popularity, uh, beauty and charm, strength and athletic ability, and worldly intelligence our emphasis. These are things that, that can be blessings given to us by God and aren't inherently sinful by any means, but they aren't our emphasis whatsoever in our childhood. Uh, rather, we emphasize those characteristics and traits that God emphasizes. Virtues is a term we use for them. Even a child is known by his deeds, whether what he does is pure and right. So our child should be known not for the toys he has or the popularity she has or how beautiful she is, how fast and strong he is, or, or how smart and ahead of her age she is but for her purity and her righteous behavior. That's the emphasis that we should have as, as parents. 
And the virtues that undergird purity and righteousness are what we're going to spend a lot of time on in the next uh, couple sessions. All right, so here's a fitting summary of what not to emphasize in the things that we as parents teach. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. All right, believe it or not, 30 minutes are already about up. So raising our kids the, the biblical way, uh, Satan certainly doesn't want that. Uh, by affecting what we emphasize in child-rearing, what we teach, how we train, how we discipline, Satan can affect the church and even society at large, and he's already done so. He's done so to great effect and continues to do so, but regardless of his influence and the pressure that we have from society, uh, we as, as parents and grandparents have a responsibility to train our children in the way they should go, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and doing so by His pattern. And in so doing, we'll prepare our children for eternity. We'll prepare them for a long and happy, safe life in service to our Father. And at the same time, teach them to be the joy that God intended them to be. Uh, the blessing that God intended them to be. You know, what a sad day when children are looked at as a pain in the neck rather than a blessing from God. You know, what a slap in the face to God, if you think about that. Uh, may we ever improve ourselves in molding our children into who God wants them to be, uh, keep the blame on ourselves, and make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in our child rearing and uh, making them happy, getting them ready uh, for, the, for the afterlife, getting them ready for their own life and service to God. And, and again, we're going to dig in much more. This is kind of like introduction part two. So I'm sure you're happy about that, Mr. Frank. We've hardly even really started here. But if you're not a member of the Lord's Church, we always want to give you an opportunity to become one. And that is follow the, the biblical prescription that is given. It's not complicated. God doesn't make it difficult to become a Christian. Believe the evidence that is available. God exists. Jesus is His Son. John 8, 24. And then turn from your sins and repentance. Stop doing the things that won't make you happy anyway. And do things God's way. Luke 13.3 Confess Christ verbally with your mouth. Romans 10.9 and 10. Be immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Acts 2.38 Where you'll be added to the one church of the Bible where you must remain faithful to the end to receive a crown of life. If you'd like to become a Christian or make some kind of public confession or uh, get the prayers of the church, we encourage you to come forward now while we stand and sing. is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. There is salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my song, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, 
Visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long.